doing, um, and I'm probably a good way to do it is I'm just going to have this chart uh, up and probably just go through this chart so it will give us an idea of where we're going. So this chart has Jesus as the king. So you see the prologue of the king, the preparation of the king, because the first thing that started in chapters 1 and 2 was a genealogy that pointed to Jesus being the son of Abraham, the son of David, the king who came as a descendant in that line. And basically all the Old Testament promises were fulfilled in him. And uh, he was born of a virgin and just spoke so clearly that Jesus was the promised king. And then the preparation of the king in chapters 3 and 4. Jesus came to John who was baptizing in the Jordan and said he needed to be baptized to fulfill the law. And in that, uh, Jesus accepted his mission of bringing salvation to the world. And then right after the baptism, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness where he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. And in that time, he was encountering Satan and all the temptations that would drive him away from fulfilling his mission to be Savior. And of course, we know he had victory over Satan. Chapters 5 to 7, now we see the preaching of the king. He begins to go out and begin proclaiming the message of the kingdom. And we see 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. This wonderful sermon, which actually he was preaching what the new kingdom lifestyle was. And, and literally that the people of God were going to be able to live this new lifestyle. And then we finished two weeks ago in, in chapters 8 and 9. Ed preached on that, the power of the king. And we saw the demonstration of his power. We saw him perform miracles. He was healing people physically. He was raising people from the dead. He was delivering people from satanic oppression. And he also had power over creation as he stilled the storm uh, and literally called his disciples and people to faith. And now we come to chapter 10, the program of the king. We are the messengers of the king. That's what we're going to be seeing in this sermon. So you can put that down. And now we're going to look at Chapter 10 this morning. Then this sending out is a response to what Jesus expresses at the end of chapter 9. Here's what he says at the end of chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into this harvest field. Now, the villages and the towns, so where were they talking about, okay? Uh, was this like around Jerusalem? Well, we actually know that it was in Galilee. So could you put that first map up just so people can get an idea? So you see where Jerusalem is, that's Judea. Then there's Samaria, and then there's Galilee, up in that area where the sea is, right? That's Galilee. That's where Jesus was. They were the village and towns that he was going in in that area. And literally the people from that area were considered the hillbillies. Not the Beverly hillbillies, but they were called the hillbillies. They were people who were not uh, educated as well. Uh, they were more rural people. Uh, and a lot of times there were Gentiles in that area, so there was a real mi mixture and diversity in that area. But that's where he was. Now, it looks like there's only a couple villages or towns there, but can you put the next map up? Now, here's Galilee, okay? 
Uh, Capernaum is sort of where he worked from, but he went out. Look at all of the villages and towns in that area. And just thinking about walking to all those villages and towns. I think about this when we're in Eswatini, because they say you're going to go out into the bush, and you're thinking, there's nothing out there. And then there's a village, and then there's a homestead. Maybe, maybe three families consider themselves a village. And this is sort of the same idea that was going on here. And they were going to all these villages and towns. And what Jesus was seeing was the condition of the people there. And he was moved to compassion at the condition of the people there. They were oppressed and manipulated by their leaders. They had no power or resources to help themselves. They were living in poverty with little or no hope. And here is the king, the savior, the good shepherd they have been waiting for, bringing a message. He's bringing truth. He's revealing power. He's revealing hope. And he's showing love. This is what he's doing. This is the message of the kingdom. But it's too much for one man to get this message all, to all the people of Israel, let alone the whole world. He needs fellow laborers to send out with these kingdom resources of truth, hope, love, and power. And that's where we come to Matthew 10. Now, I'm not going to be reading through the whole 42 verses of Matthew 10, but I encourage you, uh, you receive questions each week uh, for you to go through that, and I encourage you to do that. But what I'm going to do today is I am taking three pieces out of this text, which I think are really important for us to be looking at. The first is being sent into the harvest. The second is adversity and opposition when you're sent. And the third is reasons to have courage when you're in the midst of adversity and opposition. And it's really a message, I think, that's just appropriate for us today as it was for the disciples when Jesus was speaking to them. And at the end of this, I'm going to be looking at this in the context, but then we're going to look at how does it apply to our lives today? How do we have courage today? So let's start. We're going to read verses 1 through 8. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, his brother Andrew, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These 12 sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or any, any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So try to get this picture, right? Think about this for a second. Get this in your mind. The disciples have just been out with Jesus. They've been going to villages and towns. They've been listening to him teach with authority. They've been watching him perform miracles. He's healing the sick. He's making the lame to walk. He's giving sight to the blind. He's raising people from the dead. He's revealing his power over creation as he stills the storm. And now they're in a time of rest. They're sitting down. They're having dinner together. Just think about that. They're having dinner. And Jesus calls them together and tells them he has given them 
authority to drive out demons and to heal all diseases and sicknesses. Now, you got to picture this, right? You're sitting there, and now Jesus has been doing this, and of course you're thinking, well, this, he's doing it because he's the Son of God. Now he says, I'm giving all of you authority to do this. What? Like, what is Jesus talking about? Like, how is that going to happen? What are you really saying, Jesus? Just think about that for a second. What would that have been like to have been around that table? Uh, I, I, I mention occasionally that I watched The Chosen, and I think they did a real good job with this uh, because they were just like, what in the world are you talking about? How is this ever going to be possible? And Jesus says, you've got the authority and power, and I'm going to send you out. And so here is the answer to what Jesus had on his heart about needing more laborers for the harvest field. He's going to send out the disciples, those he calls the apostles, and he's going he's to send them out in the power that he has. And they're going to be casting out demons. They're going to be healing people, and they're going to be going from town to town. Now, these are ordinary men, right? They have no wealth. They have no status. They really don't have much of an academic background. There's no social position in their life. So who were these men? Right? Who were these men? So I have a little diagram. You can put that up. So as you can see, some of them were fishermen. There was a tax collector. Some of them were nationalists, the zealot and some of the others. Uh, they were a big mixture of people. A matter of fact, Simon the zealot, apart from being with Jesus, probably would have stabbed Matthew to death. That's how great enemies they were. But because they were with Jesus, the walls of hostility were broken down, right? And, and these disciples, this mixture of diverse men from different backgrounds, ordinary men, nothing special about them, God was going to use them now. They were going to go out and they were going to start healing people and raising the dead and driving out demons. How amazing is that? Think about that for a second. People just like you and me, what? Feel the same way about being around the table with Jesus as he's saying the same thing to us. And I love in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Listen to what it says. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world. Yes, you and I, we are the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Well, all I need to do is read that and recognize that this didn't start with us. It started with Christ raising up disciples who he was sending out in his power. And they were sent out, if you, if you notice here, they were just sent out to the house of Israel at this time. And, and, you know, that doesn't mean that God wasn't going to send people out into the world. But the first call 
And the reason he was doing this is because the message he was proclaiming was the message of the kingdom coming. So this was a message for the Jewish people that fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament that they were waiting for. This was not the message that we would preach after the cross. The, the message that was preached after the cross is there is now forgiveness of sins, there's reconciliation with God, and there's eternal life through the resurrection of the dead. That's the good news of the gospel. But what he was preaching there was, what, no, the kingdom has now come, and I am the fulfillment of the kingdom that was promised to you. And so he's bringing that message as part of the promise to Israel. And that's what they were doing at this time. They were uh, getting this and doing this message that was promised. So Jesus sends them out two by two. And again, it's interesting because um, in the chosen, I love what they do. Uh, because you keep thinking, who's going to go with who? So, you know, if you've got your list together, you think, well, who's going to go with who? He's not going to send the brothers together, right? No way. The brothers have to be split up. No question about it. Uh, so who else is he going to send out? Well, what about sending out Simon the Zealot with Matthew? Wouldn't that be something? The two of them working together, how amazing would that be? And I, I love in the chosen they did that. I have no idea if Jesus did that, but it sounds like something Jesus would do with a smirk on his face. Like, yeah, 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 Simon. Mm-hmm, Matthew, the two of you are going to go out. How amazing would that be? Um, and then for them to come back and report what God had done through them. How amazing was that? And, and as he sends them out, uh, he sends them out, and he basically says, look, you don't bring anything with you. Just the clothes on your back, no extra money. You're just going out, and you need to trust that I'm going to go before you, that there are going to be people in these towns and villages who are going to welcome you in. And, uh, and, and in this way, what he was teaching them was to trust the providence of God, that God was going to provide because God had a mission for them. He had a purpose for them, and they could trust the God who was sending them out. And, of course, We'll see a little later on. That certainly that needs to apply to us also. But that's sort of where they went, and that was the beginning of the process. Um, but he doesn't end there. You know, he doesn't end there and say, yep, uh, go have a great time. I'll see you when you get back. No, he begins to tell them what's going to happen. So let's go to verses 16 through 26. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At the time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and father his child Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. Truly, I tell you, you will not finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It is enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. Okay, I didn't sign up for this, Jesus. I did not sign up for this. 
No, you didn't. But I've called you to this. And I'm with you in this. Jesus did not beat around the bush. He was, he was very honest about what his disciples should expect. And despite their vulnerable position, the disciples were not to defend themselves with worldly forms of resistance. Huh. Uh, they were to be harmless as doves. Remaining harmless would keep them from giving in to the temptation of retaliation. And wisdom would show them how to avoid trouble without compromise. Hmm. That seems a lot easier said than done. But this is where Christ was leading them and where he leads us. And certainly in a few minutes we'll talk about that in our own lives. But let's see what he talks about, how they're going to fall into adversity and opposition. He mentions five ways that that's going to happen. They're going to be arrested by the authorities. City halls coming after them and the religious halls are coming after them. Everybody's coming after them. The synagogues are going to come after them. The politicians are going to come after them. The tradesmen are going to come after them because they are ruining the status quo. This message they're bringing is a message that will radically turn the world upside down. And they're bringing this message. And so they will be arrested by authorities and brought before counselors and governors. And, and certainly this, this expands, right? So it isn't just this town time in the villages and towns, but it's also when they go out into the world. Um, as prophecy does many times, it sort of expands as it goes forward. Here's the one that I think is really difficult. Family betrayal. There will be family betrayal. Brother against brother. Sister against brother. Parents against children. That there will be a division. That this message will bring division. And this message will also bring hate by the world. You'll be hated by the world. People will hate you. You may be killed with this message. You may be killed because of this message. And you'll be persecuted and you'll be driven from your homes and your towns. You'll be treated as Jesus was treated. In the same way that Jesus was treated, you will be treated. Rejected, despised, suffering, persecuted, and put to death. It doesn't mean it's going to happen to everybody in the same way, and it certainly doesn't mean that everybody in this room is going to have to die for their faith. It doesn't mean that everybody in this room is going to have families that divide. Uh, it doesn't mean that anybody in this room is going to be arrested. But it does mean that we will face some type of adversity and opposition as we proclaim the message of Christ. So let that sink in, because we're going to talk about that in a second. But just imagine now... You've been told this is what you're going to do, and now you're told this is what I'm going to face. And I can't imagine what that first night, when they all went on their own, when they began thinking about, like, what is, how is this going to happen, and what am I going to be facing? Like, it had to be a time where they began to have some fear in their hearts, don't you think? But it is interesting. He does mention one blessing in here. And we'll talk about it more, but I want to make sure that we get that because he says, 
when you are brought before counselors and kings, you will be given words to speak. Don't worry about it. The Holy Spirit will give you words to speak, and they will be words of wisdom led by the Spirit of God. That's, that's a great encouragement. We're going to come back to that. But I love what Spurgeon says here. Here's what Spurgeon says. It's that quote's in there. Here you see sheep sent forth among the wolves as if they were attacking party, the attacking party and were bent upon putting down their terrible enemies. It's a novel sight such as nature can never show, but grace is full of marvels. It's completely been turned upside down, right? It's sort of that Isaiah picture. You know, the lamb and the wolf and the lion are all going to be sitting together. This idea of sheep going out on the offensive, right? Harmless as doves going out with wisdom as serpents and they're stepping into enemy territory and they're coming in and grace brings marvels as this happens. And that is why you do not need to fear. That is why you do not need to fear. That's where Jesus goes with this. Because if you're thinking about it, even yourself, because you know I'm going to come to talking about this for us, but I got to think, I don't think any of those disciples slept that night unless they cried out for the peace of Christ to come upon their hearts. Because when they began thinking about tomorrow, we're going to go out two by two. We're going to go into these towns. We're going to see some miraculous things happen. And we're going to face a lot of adversity and opposition. Like that had to be a time of great fear thinking about these things. Listen to what Jesus says, because he knows what's in people's hearts. Verse 26. So do not be afraid of them. For there's nothing concealed that will, not be dis- that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. He says, don't be afraid. There's reasons for courage. There's reasons for courage. The blessings of knowing the truth will triumph. That in the end, there will be a day of accounting, even for those who are doing evil. There will be a day where things will be set right. Justice will be put forward. You will be vindicated. That's our promise. That's the promise of God to you. Know that the truth will triumph. It will have its day. And that will be the day when the king of glory comes again and forever and ever the new city and heaven itself will be a place where you walk forever. There's another reason for courage. The blessing is you have an immortal soul. So even if you were going to experience death, that death is an open door for eternal life for you who believe. 
The one you need to fear is the one who can actually take that life from you forever. And that's God. So serve God. That's, that's an amazing promise. I heard someone once say that, you know, we basically don't die until God's purpose is up for us. That we're immortal until God's purpose is up for us. I never thought of myself that way. I like thinking about that. I'm immortal until God decides that's it. And guess what? When he decides that's it, I'm going to be with him. That's great. There's nothing really that bad about that, is it? The blessing of having a sovereign father. We have a father who basically, as it says, we're valued by the father more than even the sparrows, that he knows the hairs on our head, that he is with us in this. Jesus tells us that he's going to prepare a place for us. He's told us to, that, um, that, that but we are loved in such a way from God that we're intimately known by him. And we have a sovereign father whose plan is good. And so these are things to have courage with. This is what he's saying to the disciples. You can have courage because of these reasons, even though you're going out into some hard adversity and opposition. So I wanted to take a few minutes and see how this passage applies to us today. Now, we know from 2 Corinthians 5 that we are ambassadors of Christ, which is another way of saying we're messengers of the king. We're new creatures. We become ambassadors for Christ. We are messengers of the king. And just to add to that, Jesus says that we have been sent out as he was sent out into the world. All right? So, so think about these things right now. Everybody here who's, who believes, we are messengers of God. We're hearing the same words that the disciples heard. We're hearing from Jesus. We've been given the same authority as the disciples. We have a message to proclaim. We have the good news of the gospel to proclaim. We have a message that is so powerful that it turns hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. As we learned last week, it takes dry bones and brings them back to life. It restores people to a relationship with the God of the universe, not just as those who've been created, but as adopted children, as sons and daughters. We have a message that delivers people from such oppression and bondage. Who cannot stand here and not say, I have been delivered? I stand here and say, I have been delivered from those things. I have been delivered from the fear of death. I have been delivered from my own wicked self. Hallelujah. We have a message. And through the power of prayer, we see healing and deliverance from evil spirits. We see the dead come to life. Now, not necessarily did I sit in a room with somebody who had died and, and sat there and prayed over them and they rose from the dead. But I have been in a room where someone who was dead spiritually and I shared the good news of the gospel with them and their dry bones became alive and they became alive in Christ. That's an even greater raising from dead to life. And all of us have that. All of us 
have that ability through the power of prayer and the message that we bring, the good news of the gospel. And the whole idea of deliverance, and I know, I don't know what circles you've grown up in, because there are some circles that say, there are, you know, there's no more people who have been, you know, the devil's inside them. They've been inhabited by the evil one. They've been possessed. But I, I got to tell you that I got to believe that that is not true because I've been in places where I've seen people possessed by the evil one. And I've been in places when I've prayed over people and I saw them delivered from that evil. I saw the power of the name of Jesus delivering people from evil. We have that power through prayer and through the word of God to even deliver people from evil spirits. And I know some of you have been in Eswatini with us and have seen that. But, but these are the things that God has given us. How many have prayed for somebody and they've been healed? We've had that happen. We had Eric McCoy, one of our elders early on, who's a real scientist type of guy. But we were in Eswatini, and a, a young lady came up, and she could not hear. She was deaf. And they began praying for her. And as they began praying for her, she began to hear. She literally began to hear. And Eric, who is my scientist, said, there is no other explanation than a miracle for this. And I said, I know. Now you need to get up on the stage in church and make sure people know that our rational scientists just saw a miracle. God is able to do that through us. He's able to heal. And we see that. So we have this, but no brothers and sisters, we're living in a world where we will face adversity and opposition. Isn't that true? And it's time for us to know the reasons that we need to have courage in our current situation in this world. Why we as God's people need to have courage. We're living certainly in a post-Christian culture. There's no question about that. Isn't that true? And have many of you thought about the fact that uh, Already we're beginning to see uh, Christian brothers and sisters being charged with hate crimes because of what they believe. We know that brothers and sisters are going to school board meetings and they're trying to uh, proclaim not truth in a way that they're trying to be, uh, you know, have animosity towards people, but just saying, here's things, can we address this in peace? And yet they're being charged with being enemies. But what are we doing? What are they doing? We have the power of prayer. We have the ability to pray for God to do what none of us can do, change hearts. Would we stand and do that? Our brother Ken's doing that with people, and we see God at work in ways like that. But we need to recognize that, yes, we may be come up against opposition, even with some of the... uh, uh, politics and laws that are a part of our culture right now. But here's the one, and this has been very evident over the last three years, family betrayal. 
I've gotten calls from a number of different family members, especially during the pandemic. My kids aren't talking to me anymore. As a matter of fact, it's like we're their enemies. And why is that? Well, I will tell you it's because a political ideology became a theology. But we're living in that type of world right now. We're living in a world where families are divided right now and, and seen as enemies because I might think a particular way on a topic and another person might, and even our blood relationship isn't strong enough. We are enemies. Families are divided. And we've seen that a lot more over the last few years. Reasons to have courage, brothers and sisters, right? Reasons to have courage. Will I stand on the truth? How do I love with that truth? But how do I stand on that truth even though my own child is coming against me because I might believe a particular way, whether it's about gender or whether it's about politics or whether it's about race? Adversity and opposition. Reasons for courage. Reasons for courage. Brothers and sisters, I don't know about your workplace, but if somebody in your workplace knows that you're a Christian, they might hate you. Not because of anything you've done, just by the very fact that they know you as a Christian, they might just hate you, just like that. And you haven't been given a chance. We know about brothers and sisters being persecuted, certainly across the globe. We're power and light ministries. But then we see them in their persecution. They have reasons for courage. They stand on the truth. They go out into the world and they love people, even their enemies during COVID, bringing them into their church building and ministering to them. This is the reasons we have for courage because God is with us and he gives us his heart and his ability to step into those situations. We are the messengers of the king, the serving king, the one who gave his life for us, the one who was willing to be poured out on our behalf, the one who accepted insults and rejection and betrayal on our behalf. Now we have the mind of Christ. We have reasons for courage because he has not left us. He is with us. He's given us the power in prayer. He has given us the community. He has given us one another. I want to encourage us today. I was thinking about this. You know, um, how many of us struggle with, I don't know how to answer people. Like right now, like Josh and I, as we think through issues and trying to bring to you, I feel like I'm doing a college course every week now, just trying to catch up with everything. Right? It's impossible. <laughs> it's changing so quickly. You think you got it, and now that, you know, a topic has changed, the name has changed, uh, a designation has changed. Um, but here's what the word says. He says, I will give you words through the Holy Spirit. Have courage. How many have experienced that? I have. My father-in-law threw me into a subway uh, my first time that I was out with him, the second time I was out with him, and said, you need to preach the gospel now. What? you got to be kidding me. And I started talking. And then I started yelling. And then there was a crowd there. And I, you know, literally like, I'm done. 
you know, all kinds of things have happened. I'm, I'm walking away with my father-in-law, and he says to me, well, do you remember anything you said? I'm like, no, I really don't. He said, now you know the Holy Spirit's real. Brothers and sisters, all he does is ask you to take the step. He'll give you words. And sometimes the words are, you know what, I don't know about, I don't really know how to answer that question, I'll get back to you on that, and that's okay. I was out with teenagers. Barb and I were out taking them out to do street evangelism. She had a seventh grade class that we took out to the middle of the Temple campus. And as we're out there, we were doing a little bit of drama and music, and they began heckling us, and I mean, it was really getting nasty. And this little 13-year-old girl gets up in the middle of the, the whole crowd, and she starts weeping, going to them. But you need to understand, I don't know why you're treating us this way. We're here to tell you about the love of God for you. 13-year-old girl, Holy Spirit lifts her up. That place went dead silent. By the time we were done, college students were actually sitting and the Bible being opened up with seventh graders sharing the, sharing the Bible with them. I want to encourage our teenagers in that. God gives us the words when we take that step of courage, right? When we take that step of courage, he does. He gives us the ability to do that. Listen, think about this. The other thing is we all think that we have to have every ability to answer everything. We need to go through the whole plan of salvation with someone. We need to get them to the end, and then we basically need to bring them over the threshold into the kingdom. That is never going to work because Satan's going to use that against you all the time, because you're never going to be able to do that. Let me just tell you that right now. Never going to be able to do that. When people share their testimonies, think about what they share. Um, so-and-so about five years ago said this to me, and I remembered it. And then uh, two years ago, so-and-so said this. And then, yeah, this just happened to me. There is a progression that takes place, and we're just one of those influences in that progression. That's all we are. Amen? And God does that for us. So, I mean, I can, I, I can definitely go on and on, but I think you get the point. We are messengers. We will have adversity and opposition, but we have reasons for courage, brothers and sisters. And in this day, the church of Christ needs to stand up and be courageous. We need to stand up and be courageous. You know, I often think about... Uh, what is it, the, uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the uh, Search of the Holy Grail, is that the one, one of them, where he finally gets to a place, there's a, there's a canyon, and on the other side is the door where the Holy, the, the Holy Grail is going to be, the chalice is going to be, right? And um, but how's he going to get there? And the clues say you need to step out in faith. And so he's standing there thinking, what do I, I have to step out? I'm just going to fall. No, I have courage to step out. And he steps out and there's an actual road there. And he steps out again and there's a road there. Brothers and sisters, that's all Christ asked us to do. Step out in faith. Take one courageous step. And let the Spirit continue to lead us courageously into our culture with what we have, what our culture desperately needs. Let's do that for his purposes and his glory. Amen.
That's how we approach the table this morning. We approach the table knowing that we have one who's gone before us. We approach this table believing that the one who died for us is the one who brings us into his kingdom as sons and daughters, where we are forgiven and reconciled. But he's done more than that, right? He gives us the ability to step out and to actually live out a lifestyle that brings this amazing gift to other people. And so this table represents to us what Christ has done for us. Christ has been courageous for us. Christ has gone the distance for us. Christ has suffered and died for us. But more than that, in doing that, he's provided for us. He's provided forgiveness. He's provided reconciliation with God. He's provided adoption as sons and daughters. He's provided glory for us. And we are to remember this. And I would think today in our present situation, for we truly want our faith strengthened, let this be a time where as we remember this this morning, we also take courage in what he has done for us, looking for the time when he comes back again, but wanting to live as his messengers in our world today. So this is a wonderful picture for us that God loves us, that God continues to be with us, that this meal is a meal of faith for all of us. So I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, uh, even in this moment, I'm going to be encouraging you to go to prayer before we have the, uh, before we have the meal this morning.